Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Well, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here. Good to see you guys. Hey, we're in a series titled uh, Free to Live. We're moving through the book of Galatians. This is the fourth of six sermons. And it, today, uh, we're learning about uh, being how faith in Christ frees us as God's children. You know, when I think of, of, of children, I think of maybe myself as a child. You know, you never stop being somebody's child. I'll be 41 in like just two couple weeks here, and yet I still need a dad, right? And I have, a, I have a wonderful dad. His name is Steve. He came and visited a few, thank you. He came and visited a few uh, months ago, uh, December, I think. And, you know, um, when I think of, of, of my dad, you know, my dad and I, uh, he worked a lot growing up, whether it was building houses or just working for the power company. And so I, I would work with him. One of my early, uh, early or first memories that come to my mind is that my dad would drag me with him um, to, on these like construction jobs because he's also a contractor. My dad does all sorts of stuff. Um, and so when he was doing side jobs um, after his regular job and remodeling people's ba- uh, you know, basements or bathrooms or whatnot, he would take me with him. And you know, being like 12, I hated that. I hated that. I was like, Dad, I, why, I, why do I have to come? And you know what I was? I was the extra set of hands. Get me those pliers. Get me that hammer. Hold this two by four. Hold, do this, you know. Go out and get that. And there was lots of times where I would just sit and keep him company. And now that I'm a dad, I realize how valuable that experience was. Not only did I learn how to build, but I also know what it means as a dad when I have those jobs, you know, to have my own children out there keeping me company because us dads know that there's just stuff that needs to get done. You know, there's times when we do have to work a little extra to, to make ends meet. And so I remember even my, my son, Ori, um, Oren, he, we would be, he was only two and a half maybe at the time, but I, um, I love working in my lawn and, and I, I value a nice green lawn and, and sprinklers and work that work. So I was repairing underground sprinkling and stuff. And that little boy must have been out there sitting in the dirt with me for three hours, probably. It was like way past his bedtime, almost going on nine o'clock. And we're still out there in the summer and the sun is setting, just trying to get these lines going. And so I know how valuable that is. I also, when I think about my children, I think of bad dad stories. Do any of you dads have a bad dad story? It comes to mind. Okay, here's mine. Here's one of, of unfortunately, quite a few. <laughs> um, I remember my son Hudson. He must have been one and a half to just barely able to speak, you know. And so I, we go and we put him to bed. And, and these are the days when, you know, he could wear a onesie, right? You know, he's, he's almost as tall as I am now. And I'd shudder to kind of think what he'd look like in a onesie right now. <laughs> they, they make onesies for guys, that is like a violation of every man law in existence, okay? If any of you guys wear onesies to bed, we are praying after church, okay? We are. We are going to address this issue. I'm sure that's in the Bible somewhere. But he was, he was old enough to wear this onesie, right? And so I, 
I don't know what it was. Maybe I was just, after a long day, I just kind of rushed, rushed him to bed, shoved him in that thing, put him in his bed. Well, you know, within 10, 15 minutes, I hear him crying. I am crying. I walk up in there. I'm like, why are you crying? You need to go to bed. It's late. I'm tired. You go to bed, you know? And, and so he kept crying. And cry. No, no, you go. I think I swatted his little butt once even, you know? Guess what happened? I wake up in the morning, go in to get him, and I realize, because I had to change his diaper, I realized I had shoved both legs down oh, one no. pant. <laughs> Talk about a bad dad story. The kid is crying because he's got his two legs shoved down one pant. I would be crying. You know, the kid's like sleeping that way all night. Oh, bad dad story. That was a bad dad story. Oh, man. You know, how we view our dads often influences how we dad, right? How we parent, right? It also influences, for a lot of us, how we view God as well. And so in today, as we talk about uh, being freed as children, and we, we hear even in our opening song, our opening uh, sermon intro here, you know, that we are a child of God. That, that phraseology is, is, is quite common. We are children of God. Um, and, and so, but I find that a lot of Christians really struggle viewing themselves in, as a child of God. Maybe not so much that they, oh, yeah, I am a child of God, but their view of God is, is, is different. And, and this is what I really want to address today. I want to address or our, our perspective, how we, how we view God. I want us to expand it some, okay? I want us to expand uh, how we, his role in our life or how we view his role in our life. I want to talk about him as a father, not just as a judge, okay? And as a father, what has he rescued us from? And then what has he given us um, as adopted children? Some of you may know that I, my two youngest are adopted. Jamie and I, I had just felt that, that call um, for, for several years, and we became foster parents, and through the foster care system, adopted Oren and Evelyn, and, and they've been with us almost since they were born. And, and how powerful experience that that has been for us. And even later this month, I know our outreach, local outreach director, Chris, is going to be introducing us to a, a foster care uh, uh, outreach, a ministry that we're going to be able to, to participate in for a couple weeks and meeting the needs of, of, of children and students in foster care right now. But we are. We are kind of like foster kids. We are kind of like children who, who have been adopted into God's family. And so when we come into God's family how we view him, um, being not just a, a judge, um, but also as a father, and then what that means for us in terms of our past and our future. So would you take out a Bible? If you don't have one, just raise a hand. One of our ushers will be glad to bring you one. Or you can look on the Cornerstone app. There's a Bible uh, there in the, in the messages section. So I'm in Galatians chapter 3 right now. And I'd like you to stand with me just out of respect for God's word. Let's read. And we're going to look at those three things today. Expanding our perspective of, of who God is, what his role is in our lives, how he's rescued us from our past, and how he's given us a future better than we could ever imagine. So let's take a look. I want you to start in verse um, 19 with me. Start in verse 19. Paul, this is Paul writing to the Galatians. He says, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed 
to last only until the coming of the child, speaking of Jesus, who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Verse 23, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian, um, kind of like a foster parent, until Christ came. It, it, it protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian, for we are all, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So the first thing I, I want you to, us to do today is to expand how we see God, that he's more than a judge, that he is our father. I found a quote. There's a quote from J.I. Packer, an author and theologian. He says that justification, we mean by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past together with its acceptance for the future is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel is not in question. We all agree with that, right? Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. We all stand by nature under God's judgment. His law condemns us. Guilt gnaws at us, making us restless, miserable, and in our lucid moments afraid. We have no peace in ourselves because we have no peace with our maker. So we need the forgiveness of our sins, says Packer, an assurance of a restored relationship with God more than we need anything else in this world. And this, the gospel offers us before it offers us anything else. But he continues, contrast this now with adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the father, is even greater. I really like that quote. I really like that quote because I, I think it addresses an issue that a lot of Christians have today in that they view God primarily as a judge. They come to him first and foremost for the forgiveness of their sins. They come somewhat out of fear that they'll be punished for eternity in hell, right? So they, they come in this way and they say, yes, I, I have faith that Jesus was more than a man, that he is and was the savior of the world. I put my faith in him and I trust in him. And in that moment, they feel that guilt relieved, that, that sense of rightness with, with God, the, 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 the ultimate judge. And, and so they, they stand before the Lord and they continue to relate to him in that way. And if you've ever been around a judge or a police officer, you know, tailing you on the road or something, it makes you uptight, right? Why? 
Because even though you're not doing anything wrong, you still, with their presence there, have this ongoing sense that you might, and if you do, bam, they gotcha, right? And so a lot of people continue to relate to God as a judge. They continue to see him in this way, and so they are constantly uptight with him in, in, his, in his house and in their relationship with him because they're constantly afraid that, that they're going to do something wrong. He's going to catch them being bad and judge them, and then they're going to be done, right? There's going to be some sort of punishment. They relate to God in, in this way. We, and so even though they are in right standing with God, they're not relaxed in that relationship, right? There's no fellowship with God beyond that. It's kind of like, it's, sometimes it's kind of like the relationship we have with our boss, right? Oftentimes our relationship with our boss, it has to have that, that sense of, of formality there, that impersonal nature to it. I'm, for, I know a man, um, he walked into his boss's office and he just said, sir, listen, I'm going to shoot you straight. I know the economy isn't great, but I have three companies after me and uh, you, you need to give me a reason to stay. And so after a few minutes of haggling the man and his boss, they finally agreed to a 5% raise. And boy, he got up. He was really happy. He got up and he, he got to, to leave. And, and the boss looked at him and said, hey, by the way, what, what three companies after you? And you said, well, the electric, the water, and the phone company. Thank you very much. <laughs> Typically, that was pretty good. He played well played, well played. You know, typically I have had, you know, in personal relationships with my bosses. I mean, we were very friendly. We chit-chat and, and ask, uh, you know, about each other's families and whatnot. But, you know, we're, we're not friends. There's no fellowship beyond our professional responsibilities. And I think that, that there's a lot of Christians who approach the relationship with God like that. They don't, there's no fellowship with God beyond their spiritual responsibilities. And they even approach prayer and and, and, and worship and, and any sort of service, anything they do at church in a, in a, as if like, well, that's how I stay in right standing with the judge. I just have to keep doing my due diligence. I think the Galatians struggled with this. You know, if you've been with me the last uh, couple of weeks here, you know we've been talking about how they, um, they started back into this performance uh, faith, performance-based faith, and this, this I have to like earn it, I, or I have to continue to working to keep it. Yeah, I believe that Jesus was more than a man, but now to stay saved, I have to continue to meet the righteous requirements of, of, of God the judge. And you know, I, here's what I really think was happening. In addition to these Jewish false teachers coming in and, and, and trying to convince them that they needed to follow the law, I honestly believe that that the, some of the, the ambiguity that comes with walking by faith made them nervous. I, thought that, I think that they, they really didn't know what it meant to walk by faith, and, and they wanted a more black and white manual, if you will, to, to walking with God. And so they defaulted to the law because it was, it was plain, you know, you do this, you don't do that, you know, you do this then, you don't do this, you know. And, and so they started into this, this way of thinking, and Paul is telling them just as, as if, you know, be, as them being God's children, listen, you need to relax. God's not, yeah, God is that righteous judge, and you are forgiven because of your faith, but he's not standing over you all the time just trying to catch you being bad. Are you following what I'm saying? And so I think that uh, there's, uh, there's something uh, to us, or to, to this for us today. 
in that this way of approaching God or continuing to approach God is unnecessary. Look at verse 23. Go back to 23. He says, but before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. In verse 25, now the way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian. He's basically saying the, the law is not necessary anymore, guys. You, you can relate to God not only as a, the righteous judge who justifies you, forgives you, and, and, and makes you right with himself. Now you can relate to him in a new way, a way that isn't governed by the law, a way that should allow you to relax in his presence. We talk about I love, I love to be in your presence. You know, there's a lot of Christians that don't like to be in God's presence because they view him as a judge. And it's like sitting in the courtroom all the time. And they're not relaxed about it. And so what I'm saying to you is generally the same thing that Paul is trying to get across to these uptight Galatians is, listen, expand your view of God. He is your heavenly father, as Packer says. There's a closeness, there's an affection, there's a generosity at the heart of this relationship now. And to be forgiven by the, the righteous judge is great, but to be loved and cared for by him is even greater. And I think there's a lot of Christians that just, that really needs to sink in. And so if you're here today and you primarily view God through that lens, I want to encourage you to expand your field of view and to see him differently, to relax a little bit. That's kind of in my closing comments as well. You know, um, I love being a dad. It's like my favorite thing, right? Besides being a husband, I like that too, even more. But I love being a dad. And one of the things that, that would really bother me as a dad, and you guys as parents, grandparents here, you can testify to this as well, is if my kids are uptight around me and wondering, well, can I, can I sit down? Can I get in the fridge and get a snack? Can I have a drink of water? You know, if my kids, think about that. If my kids were coming to me or your kids or grandkids were coming to you and saying, can I have a drink of water? You would, you'd, you'd be heartbroken. Like, what am I doing wrong? As if like, man, am, am I uptight as well? Am I doing something that's causing you to, to be nervous around me? Are you following me? Have you been in homes like that where you're afraid to sit down like there's a plastic cover on the couch, you know, and you have to have like three coasters, you know, before you set your glass down, you know? You go in homes like that and you just like don't want to breathe. And there's Christians bugging around the church like they can't breathe, don't touch anything. You're going to upset them, you know? Do you know what I mean? And, and I just want you to know God is not like that. And when Christians approach him that way, it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart. He's like, you are part of my family. Help yourself to the fridge. Get a drink of water. Get whatever you need. Stay, you're staying here for free. I mean, look at what he, the great links he went to make you part of his family and sending Jesus to die. Uh, his, his blood son, his true son, to, to die so that you could be adopted into his family. Yeah. Being uptight in God's house and, and in your relationship with him 
it, it's, it's like skews everything. And I just want to say to you today, relax. Expand your view. God is not standing over you. He does not want to relate to you that way. Yeah, he's got house rules like any dad does. But he's, he, he's not as, uh, he doesn't put his grumpy pants on quite as much as I do or you do, right? He just loves you. He just loves you. Look and tell your neighbor that. God just loves you. He does. He loves you. And he's glad you're a part of his family. Um, let's, let's look at the second thing. The first thing I, I wanted to teach you this morning or challenge you with, just give you something to think about, is expand how you see God. He's more than a judge. He's your father. The second thing is that God has rescued you from your past. As I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm an, a, 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 or I was a, a foster dad. Jamie and I were foster parents and we had adopted. Um, is anybody else here have ever been a foster parent or adopted? No? Well, I, I've been. And I want you just to picture uh, this uh, for a second. Imagine for a moment that you're, you're adopting a child. And so, and you meet with a, a social worker in the last stage of the process, and, and you, just before you go to meet with the judge and, and make this thing official, you're told that the, the child has been in and out of psychotherapy since, since uh, he was three. And you find out he has expressed a lot of violence, far beyond anything that the social worker has ever seen. You hear that he often acts out sexually, but not many details are provided. Uh, she continues to, to provide you with some more in-depth family history, and you find out that the, the mother's an alcoholic and the dad is in prison for murder. So think about that for a second. Would you continue with that adoption? Would you go forward with that? And if you did, would you keep a close eye on him? Would you leave him alone with your daughter? Would you be a little more cautious about where you hid the knives or the guns? I mean, just think about this for a second. Now, before you think this is crazy, you need to understand that that child, that's you and I with God, right? I mean, if you think about all of the things in, in our past, right? You think about the things that, that we've done or thought or struggled with, and then you think of God, you know, we come to him and it's as simple as believing that Jesus is the savior of the world, that he died and rose again to, for, for the forgiveness of our sins, and then that's it? besides all the terrible things we've done, God just forgives that and just says, okay, you're part of my family. God seems a, a lot more gentle than you and I are, you know, especially when we consider this sort of a, a story and the things that we might, we might be running through our heads. We would have a second thought about whether or not what we want to do this. And yet God, he didn't give it a second thought. He said, come on in. You're, you're more than a fridge friend. Now you're, now you're my uh, a fridge friend. Yeah, friends that can get in without asking, right? You're my child. You can just help yourself anytime. And that's exactly what God did for us when he rescued us from our past. And this is exactly what Paul is saying God did for the Galatians. Look in chapter 4 with me. Just follow along as I, as I read here. Paul says, Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they, had actually, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent 
his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And so God has rescued us from our past. But what, what does that mean? Well, it's probably very similar. In fact, I, I would say it is similar to what God rescued the Galatians from. You see, people naturally tend towards one of two extremes as far as spirituality is concerned. At one end, you have aestheticism, which is extreme restraint. If you consider the religions of the world, many of them tend towards aestheticism, extreme restraint. We'll talk about that in a moment. The, at the other end of the spectrum, the basic spiritual principles of the world go to the other extreme, and that's idolatry, extreme unrestraint, okay? And so when we, these are the things that the Galatians were rescued from. These are things that you and I were rescued from. When you think about extreme uh, restraint, aestheticism, it involves the denial of most, if not all, pleasure. Uh, Normal physical activities, things that are just normal, adult activities, um, eating, sleeping, sexual relationship, all that, that's done, gone. They abstain from a lot of that. There's a lot of fasting, not a lot of sleeping, okay? Um, Involved isolation from others, self-inflicted pain, and almost complete devotion to prayer and meditation. I don't know about you, but the first thing that came to my mind was monks. I think of monks, okay? Uh, You know, um, I heard about a man who decided to become a monk. I love this story. The head monk says to the man, he says, this is a silent order. You'll only be allowed to speak once every 15 years. Well, the man says, okay, I can do that. And begins his time with the monks, with the silent order. 15 years pass, and the man is sitting in the reflectory when the head monk approaches and says to the man, brother, it's been 15 years. What would you like to say? The man responds, the porridge could use a little more sugar. (laughs) The head monk nods in acknowledgement and walks away. Another 15 years pass, and the head monk finds the man in the dormitory and says, brother, it's been another 15 years. What do you wish to say? says, the bed sheets are a bit thin. Again, the head monk nods in acknowledgement. Yet another 15 years pass, and the head monk sees the man and asks, brother, 15 years have passed. Have you anything to say? Well, actually, I've been thinking about it, and I'm leaving the order. It's not really for me, says the man. Yes, yes, says the head monk. I think that's for the best. You've done nothing but complain since you've been here. (laughs) Oh, I like that. I like that. I would never make it as a monk, by the way. I would never make it. Uh, You know what? Asceticism, it has this, this pretense about it that of spirituality, that like wearing, you know, these robes or wearing this garb or, or like fasting all the time or praying all the time. It has this sense of spirituality. And yet Paul says in other places in his letters that this leads to false humility, not salvation. False humility. It puffs people up. It does not lead to salvation. It's basically hell on earth and hell for eternity. 
You don't experience any pleasure here, any good here, and you don't experience any of that in eternity future either. So that's one extreme. And Paul says, listen, God has saved you from that. He saved us from that. At the other extreme, you have idolatry. And idolatry is basically, it involves the acceptance of most, if not all, pleasure, physical activities. Nothing was off limits in terms of diet, sexual relationships. Um, if you read Leviticus, and we often look at Leviticus or that, that first uh, part of the, the law there as being very dry. But you have to understand something. Paul says in these verses we just read that God gave the Israelites the law in the first place as a, like a tutor, as a guardian. He gave it to them to keep them until the way of, the, of faith would be revealed. And you have to understand where the Israelites were, what they were walking into. They left Egypt, which was idolatrous enough, but as they traveled through the wilderness, they were coming up into the Canaan land, which we now know as the Middle East, and they were surrounded by countries and people groups that basically were very idolatrous, had no restraint whatsoever. And so when you read in here and you see God giving something in the law, like don't drink blood, don't sacrifice your children in the fire, don't, uh, don't sleep with th this person, don't have sex with animals, don't do this, don't do that, and you read through every rule, he's giving that rule because the people around them, they do all those things. They do all those things. And God was saying, listen, you don't act like the people around them, around you, right? And so he gave them a way to have balance between both of these extremes until Jesus came and the way of faith could be revealed. And so uh, this extreme restraint involved worship of celestial bodies and demons, involved the sacrifice of animals, people, but especially children. And uh, Paul is saying, listen, God redeemed you from that. He rescued you from that past. Some of you were aesthetic. Some of you were idolaters. Some of you had extreme restraint. Some of you had extreme unrestraint. You were all over the place. God rescued you from those things. He made you part of his family. And now that you're part of his family, you just need to relax a little bit and let the Spirit just speak to you and guide you and work in your heart. You don't need to follow the law anymore. You don't, that could even be classified as a, um, one of those basic spiritual principles. You don't need that anymore. You, you, there's a different way, a new way of relating to God. And he has rescued you from those things. Um, look at verse 6. Galatians 4, 6 again. In verse 6, God says, And because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. You see, um, the multitude of law, having a multitude of laws does not make people righteous. doesn't make people good. It just kind of hems them in, right? It kind of hems them in. You set some boundaries and you set consequences for breaking or crossing those boundaries. But it doesn't make people want to do good. 
That was where the law fell short. I mean, look at the Israelites all through their history. They had the law. Did they follow it very often? No. They kind of hid it. Didn't want to hear about it. Live in the other ways. They they just kind of adopted the aesthetics or the idolatry of the people around them. And so God in the Old Testament, several times he said he was going to address this. He was going to fix this issue because knowing what to do good or being told what to do is way different than wanting to do it yourself. And so the law had a way, it was basically behavior management at its finest, right? It's, it's I'm going to hem you in, and there's are consequences. If you cross it, this is what's going to happen. It's, it's changed from the outside in. But God said, nope, I'm going to change this. You read in Jeremiah 31, 33, it says, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days. I'll put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. He's not going to, no longer would the laws be written on tablets of stone. They'd be written on our hearts. They'd be inside of us. And in Ezekiel 36, 27, God says, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And then Paul mentions it again, that this is exactly what God did in making us his children. And in the process, instead of hemming us in, he kind of removes those restraints from us. And now the good we do comes from within. And we're like, I actually want to do good, whether or not the, there's a law that says I have to. I actually want to do good because I, I see how it benefits me. I see how it benefits my relationships. There's a difference there. And this is what Paul is trying to show them. There's a new way of relating to God. There's a new way of walking through this life. You don't need to be aesthetic. You don't need to be an idolater. You can actually have balance because the Holy Spirit is within you now and He guides you. He speaks to you. He tells you when you're off track. How many of you have ever had the Holy Spirit speak to you? And just be like, oh yeah, I, He talks to you. Sometimes He talks pretty firm to you. I, I can remember one time in my life I was doing something I know I ought not to be doing. And I had done it a few, quite a few times. And, I, and the Holy Spirit had been talking to me over and over and over. And I just didn't really respond. And I got to one point, I remember hearing the Holy Spirit speak to my, through, in my heart, not audibly. He said, if you do that one more time, I'm, I'm not going to talk to you about it anymore. I'm going to leave you to it. Have you ever, as a dad, have you ever had that kind of talk? Or as a mom, have you ever had that talk with your son or daughter? I'm not going to bother you anymore with this. You're going to be on your own. That put some fear in my heart. And needless to say, I stopped. You know, you get to that point where your heart gets so calloused, you can't even hear the Lord anymore. You can't even hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. And Paul is saying, this is, this is the way that God wants to relate to you now. It's a little more relaxed. It's a little, lot more subjective than the law. But this is how he's doing it. And so you need to let go of this law. You need to relax. You need to expand your view of who God is. He's more than a righteous judge. He's your heavenly father. He's put his spirit in your, in your hearts. He's adopted you in, 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 and rescued you from your past. And, and all those extremes you were caught up in. And more importantly, look at the verse 7. He says, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. 
meaning God is a, he's provided a future for you that is better than you could ever imagine. He's provided a future for you better than you could ever imagine. You know, heirs have inheritances, right? Here's a fun fact for you. Travis Knight, the son of Nike founder Phil Knight, was put in charge of a trust that controls 38 million shares of Nike stock. There's no word yet of how much he stands to inherit, but Nike is the most valuable fashion brand in America at $28 billion. Talk about an inheritance, right? Talk about an inheritance. And yet Paul is telling the Galatians, listen, your heavenly father has an inheritance for you too. And it's worth a whole lot more than $28 billion. And I believe what Paul is saying to the Galatians, he's saying to you and I today, as we expand our view of who God is, as we start to see him as a father who just loves us, and, and as we relax in, in our relationship with him, as we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and, and to speak to us and convict us when we go off track and we respond and he corrects us, as we learn to live that way, let us also be aware that as a child of God, we have an inheritance that cannot be valued on earth. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, and he describes it as a treasure that moth nor rust can destroy nor thieves can steal, right? Travis Knight's father may be extremely rich, but our heavenly father, your heavenly father, has more wealth than we could even imagine, wealth without end. And as his child, you and I stand to inherit it. Uh, John, the Apostle John, caught a glimpse of this heavenly treasure in Revelation 21, 22. And, and he says it's better than you can any, ever imagine. I think he was struggling for words to describe it. And just a few things he mentions. He describes uh, uh, you and I living in a city made of gold, pearls, precious gems. He talks about a crystal clear river that flows from God's throne. You know, I've read that. Do we have any fishermen here? Anybody like to fish? I wonder if there's fish in that river. And I wonder if you catch them on the first try. It's frustration-free fishing. She just throw it in. You can't win. Yes, this is fun. I think part of fishing, though, is, is waiting, isn't it? It's kind of like you're doing nothing but doing something kind of thing. I think that's kind of the point of fishing. Um, anyways, I digress. There's trees that provide food and medicine year-round. And so this is just a glimpse of what, what the apostles saw. And he says, this is your future. This is just a part of the inheritance that God has for you. Why? Because you are, part, you are his child. You, how many of you parents want to leave something for your kids? I do, right? God wants the same thing. We are evil people. And we, we, yet we want those good things for our kids. How much more so does our Heavenly Father, who is perfect, want those things for us? And so, as his child, you have an eternal inheritance. So I've talked about three things as we wrap up today. I've talked about three things. I've, first of all, I've addressed our perspective of God, and I've just encouraged you uh, to expand how you see him, regardless of how your dad was or your grandpa was or how you parented your children, okay? Um, God, God wants you to see him as not just a judge, someone who... Uh, 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 removes your sin and declares you right. He wants you to expand that to mostly see him as a father. 
Someone who cares for you, provides for you, just loves having you around. And he wants you to relax in his presence. He wants you to love coming into his presence, whether that be reading the Bible and getting to know him personally, okay? Or in times of prayer to come in and, and just, just spend time with him. He, he wants you to view him that way. I've also mentioned how God rescues you from your past. He, he, both extremes. He gives you the opportunity to live life like above a law. His spirit guides you and, and shows you what's right and wrong. And, and will you be perfect in it all the time? Nope, that's okay. That's okay, he knows it. I've said it a couple weeks and I'll, before I'll say it again. God knows that you're gonna make mistakes and not be perfect in that and he still loves you just the same, right? My son, I know my son's gonna make mistakes I still love them, right? It's just part of being a parent, right? I made mistakes. My dad still loved me, right? And your heavenly father still loves you. And he wants you to know today that he's given you an inheritance that is far greater than anything you can imagine. Why? Simply because you've put your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So I, before we go, I have to ask you, have you done that? Have you put your faith in Christ and if it's there, are you working for it or are you just accepting the fact that God loves you because of it? If you've not made Jesus the leader of your life and you're here today or maybe you're listening online, please come and see me. If you'd like to learn more, I'd love to answer any questions you have, pray with you. There's no greater joy I have than leading someone to the Lord. And so uh, I would count it a privilege to be able to speak with you about that. Please come and see me if that's you. I'll leave you with this quote and then we'll pray. J.I. Packer said, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by the God the Father is even greater. Let that sit with you this week. Would you stand as we pray? <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Would you just take a second, even under your breath, or as you're just standing there, if you need this sermon meant something to you, would you just begin to ask God to help you embrace your role as a child in his family? Just begin to pray in your own way. Thank you. That's not something you're struggling with. You, we can all thank him for rescuing us from our past. We can all thank him for giving us that eternal inheritance. Father, I just come before you in Jesus' name, just with this wonderful group of people today. I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Galatians. I thank you that we get to learn from their struggles. And, and I'm also thankful that it's not my life my story or this church's story that's in the pages of this book. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us, God, to grow beyond just seeing you as, as a judge. God, let us see you as our Heavenly Father. Let us relax in our relationship with you. Let us just, just be relaxed as, as a child of God. Change that. I just pray for every person here listening today or online, God, that just, just views you that way. Let them expand their view. Lord, I just pray your blessings 
uh, over this wonderful people, God. Thank you for rescuing us for, from our past. Thank you for giving us an eternal inheritance. Thank you for loving us and making us your children. Help us to grow in this this week. Bless us now as we go. Give us a wonderful afternoon, just a great time, just a rest, and maybe working around the house, getting ready for the new week. God, we just thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are loved. I'm available if you would like to chat or pray. Otherwise, I'll be greeting you at the door. Have a great week. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.